stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. I want to draw your attention to two verses in Revelation 12, verse 10 and verse 11. And verse 10 reads, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? And the title that I want to use for this morning is the phrase, I'm thankful for the blood. Let's shout it together. I'm thankful for the blood. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Bow your head for prayer. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity to share the Word of God. I ask you to use me in some way, Lord, that would advance your kingdom in the earth and glorify your name in heaven. Lay your hand upon me and enable me beyond myself to explain the Scriptures in a way that makes sense to us and that we would all come to a greater appreciation for the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. It's in his holy name that we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Thank, I'm thankful for the blood. Like your pastor said a few moments ago, we have lots of things to be thankful for, and we are thankful. And this is the week of Thanksgiving, and especially on Thursday, most of us will sit around a table of food with family and friends, and we will express thanks on that day. But even on this Sunday and at the beginning of this week, we want to share how thankful we are. We have lots of things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for this opportunity that I have to be here with you today. I'm thankful that my wife is with me today. I'm thankful that I have the health to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm glad I'm not in a hospital on a ventilator. I'm glad I'm not home struggling with COVID. Can somebody say thank God for that? I'm thankful for lots of things. I'm thankful that I have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. I'm thankful that my nose can smell and that my, my tongue can taste. I'm thankful for the calling of God on my life. I'm thankful for my kids and my grandkids. I'm thankful for the house I live in and for the car I drive. I'm thankful for the clothes I wear. I'm thankful for the friends I have but above, far above all of these things, I am mostly thankful for salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're most thankful for because without the blood, we would be lost. Without the blood of Christ, we would be bound with addictions. Without the blood of Christ, we would be on our way to hell. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. According to the scripture, we are purchased by the blood, redeemed through the blood, and elected in his blood. But the scripture goes on. According to the Bible, we are justified by his blood, reconciled through his blood, and made pure 
in his blood. But the scripture says more than that. We are cleansed by his blood, sanctified through his blood, and washed in his blood. No wonder the songwriter said there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Put your hands together and say, I am thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about three reasons we are thankful for the blood. And point number one, I'm protected by the blood. Notice what the scripture says in Exodus 12, 13. This is going back to the days of the Passover in the days of, of Moses when Israel was in Egyptian bondage. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I love this phrase. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Can we say that phrase together? When I see the blood, I will pass over over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. If you are familiar with that part of Israel's history, there were 12 plagues. And the last of the 12 plagues was when the death angel went from door to door to pass judgment upon those who had rejected God. And the judgment at that time was that the firstborn in every household would be slain. Unless they had the blood applied to the doorpost. Now they would slay a lamb and take a plant known as hyssop and they would smear the leaves inside this puddle of blood and would then strike it on the doorpost, on the sides and also on the top. Let me be clear, they did not put it on the threshold because then stepping on it or stepping over it would... Uh, what. what would be an awful, uh, unsanctified event. That's why later in the New Testament, the writer said, some have trampled uh, the blood of Christ. But put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. And I have often wondered, you know, about this death angel was not, was not Satan. This death angel was not a demon. This death angel was a messenger of God sent for judgment. And this death angel would go house to house. And he didn't look inside the windows and ask the question, do you have gold or silver here? If you've got enough money, I won't slay your firstborn. It wasn't gold or silver. The, the writer of the New Testament said, we were not redeemed with silver and gold, or the, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When the death angel knocked at the door, he didn't ask what level of education they had or what their status was in the community or how many friends they had. Only one thing mattered. Did they have the blood applied to the doorpost? Can you imagine a little boy, the oldest son in the family, how fearful he might have been on that night when he could hear the wails and the cries of neighbors where children, little boys were dying all over. Can you imagine this little boy saying to his daddy, Daddy, did you put the blood on the doorpost? Am I going to die tonight? Is everything going to be all right? Somebody wrote a song about that later, and here's the words. Son, now don't you worry, for the blood is there to stay. The wind may blow and the rain may fall, but it won't just wash away. Safe, secured, you can rest assured that the blood is still there. Somebody shout, the blood is still there. 
We are protected by the blood. The blood is our defense. If you have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life, Satan cannot cross the bloodline. Even the death angel of God could not cross the bloodline, much less Satan or any of his imps. We are protected by the blood. Let me share with you an amazing testimony from the ministry of John Ramirez. He wrote a book a few years ago called The Devil's Cauldron. He tells his testimony. John Ramirez, back in the day, was uh, a trafficker among demons. He had a cauldron, like an altar, in his home. And he would go before this cauldron and call up demon spirits. He conversed with them. He trafficked among the demonic. It became a lucrative business for him. People would pay him money for him to put curses on people. He would charge folks $10,000 and he would curse people. And they would get very sick, ill, and sometimes die. And this became a lucrative business for him. This is what he did. And so a lady came to him and gave him $10,000 and said she wanted him to curse a certain fella. And uh, this fella was, um, well, a certain woman. A certain woman because the woman was married to the guy. And this lady wanted the guy, so she wanted the woman dead so she could marry her husband. And she said, I'll pay you $10,000 and I want you to curse the woman so she'll die. And, uh, and he went in to that cauldron and he called up these demons and he sent them on assignment. And two weeks went by and the lady didn't even get sick. And three weeks went by and the lady wasn't sick. And so the other lady came back and said, if it's not going to work, I want my money back. He says, no, wait a minute. He says, let me give it one more attempt. He went back to that black cauldron. He called up those demons and asked them what the problem was. And they said, we attempted, but we can't touch her. She's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we got ready to attack her, her God said no. And we can't do And the guy had to give the money back to the lady. I want to tell you something. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are protected by the blood. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Put your hands together and shout, I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. We are protected by by the blood. The wicked one touches you not. I'm thankful for the blood. Point number two, I'm also thankful because I'm cleansed by the blood. 1 John 1, 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you begin reading the Bible, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you will find blood all through this book. More than 450 times. Blood, 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 blood. Why in the world is there so much blood in the Bible? Because there's so much sin in our lives. And only the blood can wash away and cleanse the sin. Now, I think it is a very interesting, the progressive revelation that God showed humanity through the sacrifice of blood. For example, in the very beginning, when Cain killed Abel, 
when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, in the early days, there was only one redemption. It had to come through a sacrifice of blood. But in the case of Abel, his blood was spilled on the ground. Cain killed Abel and his blood was spilled on the ground. And then the Lord says, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now, isn't this an interesting idea that blood has a voice, that blood can speak? We're unable to hear what blood has to say, but God, being divine as he is, God can hear what blood says. And when the blood was spilled and hit the ground, the blood of Abel, then God says to Cain, your brother's blood calls to me and speaks to me from the ground. But the writer of Hebrews says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better thing. The blood of Jesus has something to say. What did the blood of Abel say? Well, the same thing that Abel would have said could he have spoken. He was deceased. He was dead. He'd been slain. If he could have talked, what would he would have said? He would have said, I'm innocent. My brother murdered me. He deserves justice. I deserve vindication. The blood would have said what Abel would have said. But the writer of Hebrews says that the blood of Christ speaks a better thing. What does the blood of Christ speak? The same thing Jesus would speak. Probably something like this. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The blood speaks. Now listen, listen to this. This is important because there was a progressive revelation concerning this blood. By the time we get to the Passover... God's trying to relate to the people in Egypt. It's not enough for the blood to be poured out on the ground. It's misplaced there. I want you to understand the application. So put it on the door post. And then they understood a little bit more about the application of blood. But God waited a, a few more generations and he says, well, let me teach you something else about the blood. It's not enough to it to be applied to a building. It needs to be applied to, to you. And so under the law from Sinai, then for the first time, they smeared blood on their thumb and on their big toe and on their ear. So it went from a blood being poured out on the ground to blood being applied to a building to blood being applied to their body. But there was more revelation yet to come because when Jesus stood before the people, he declared about four times in John chapter 6, drink my blood. In other words, it's not enough to be on the ground, on the door, or on your ear, or on your toe. It's got to be internalized. If this blood gets on the inside, if you are redeemed in your heart by the blood of Jesus Christ, then that is the reconciliation that God was after the whole time. The blood is applied to our hearts. Can somebody say thank God for the blood? So now when you consider this, friend, everywhere you look at the cross, you will see blood. If you look at the cross from the top, you will see blood from the crown of thorns. If you look at the cross from the bottom, you will see blood from his feet. If you look at the blood from the left, you will see blood from his left hand. If you look at the blood of, at the cross from the right, you will see blood from his right hand. If you look at the cross from the back, you will see blood from his back. If you look at the cross from the front, 
You will see blood from the plucked beard and where the spear went into. You cannot look at the cross and not see the blood. God forbid that churches today would preach a bloodless gospel. Folk want to stop singing about the blood, stop talking about the blood. They call it a gory gospel. You can't get to the glory unless you come through the gory. Can somebody say amen to that? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. I was in Radford, Virginia, not far from here, a year or two ago. A guy sang a special song on that night. I told him how much I enjoyed his song. He says, normally I sing with a quartet of singers. He says, but today I was by myself. I says, well, maybe one day I can hear the whole quartet sing. He said, let me tell you something that happened. He said, last year our quartet was in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And we sang, and it went well at the church, and they invited us back a year later, so it's on the calendar. In the meantime, they had a pastoral transition and said the new pastor came in and saw we were unscheduled to come to the church and wrote us a four-page document to tell us what we could do and not do when we came to his church. I said, a four-page document? What was that about? He said, they he told us, don't bring a Bible, don't quote any scriptures, don't sing any songs about the blood, on and on and on. I said, are, are they a Christian church? He said, well, they were last year when we were down there. They got a new pastor. I don't know what they're doing now. And I says, well, what did you do? He said, we wrote him a document. I said, we're not coming. If we can't sing about the blood, we're not coming. There's a group of folk that don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. My friends, it's our method of salvation. It is our reconciliation with God. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, this is very interesting. Dr. M.R. Dehan, in his book entitled, The Chemistry of the Blood, makes this true statement. Maternal blood has no contact with fetal blood. When a baby is in the womb of its mother, it receives oxygen and nutrients and a lot of other good stuff through the umbilical cord and the placenta, so forth and so on. But the mother's blood has no contact with the baby's blood, and the baby gets its blood from its father. I got my daddy's blood, and my daddy got his daddy's blood, and great-granddaddy's blood, and you can trace it all the way back to Adam. And whether you're a male or a female, you got your blood from your father, who got it from his father, and it goes all the way back to Adam. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden and became contaminated, even our blood is contaminated. I can't die on the cross for you. That's one sinner dying for another. We needed somebody with a different blood. We needed somebody with a holy blood. We needed somebody with a sinless blood, and only one. One person qualifies. Somebody said, well, where did Jesus get his blood from? Well, he got it from Mary. No, he didn't get his blood from Mary. Maternal blood never has contact with fetal blood. Well, if he didn't get his blood from Mary, obviously he got his blood from Joseph. No, 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 no. Joseph and Mary never had relationships until after Jesus was born. Well, now this creates a problem. If Jesus didn't get his blood from Mary because of biology, and if he didn't get his blood from Joseph because of relationship, pray tell me where did he get his blood from? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and impregnated her with holy seed. Jesus got his blood from the Holy Ghost. That's why only Jesus could die on the cross for us. His blood is a holy blood, spotless blood. What shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what shall make me whole again? 
The blood of Abraham won't save you. The blood of Moses can't save you. The blood of pastor and evangelist can't save you. There's only one blood, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Clap your hand and say, I'm thankful for the blood. I'm thankful for, I am thankful for the blood. This leads me to point number three, and reason number three, we are thankful for the blood. And that comes back to my original text. I overcome by the blood. Revelation 12 and 11. And they overcame him, the enemy, the devil. How'd they do that? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You are an overcomer because of the blood of Jesus Christ. John wrote Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. He had been banished there by Domitian, the Roman emperor. You know, they had attempted to martyr John another way, according to tradition. They put him in a pot of boiling oil. But by God's mercy, he survived. And what do you do with a fellow that you can't kill? They just put him on a lonely rock quarry of an island called Patmos. He's out there hundreds of miles away from the mainland, surrounded by sharks, beaten by the sun. Thought he was all alone. But he heard a voice behind him. And he turned to see the voice that was behind him, and it was the resurrected Son of God. Walking with brazen feet like they'd been burning a furnace. He had hair as white as snow, as white as wool. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his voice sounded like many waters that were rolling. In one hand, he had seven stars, which are the <laughs> spirits of God, messages to the churches. And Jesus walks over to John, who fell over like he was dead, and said, I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore and had the keys of death and hell in the grave. He got John back up on his feet and said, I'm going to give you three, uh, seven letters I want you to write uh, to the churches of Asia. And he began to write these letters. And soon after that, he heard what sounded like a trumpet. And the trumpet, and he looked up, and it was like a window or a door that opened up into heaven, and like a helium balloon, he was elevated. I kind of think it's um, precursory to the rapture about what's getting ready to happen to the rest of us. Can you say amen? And when he was elevated up into heavens, he saw with his own eyes the throne of God. And he saw one sitting on the throne. It is not vacant. God is still on the throne today. We might change Congress. We might change Supreme Court members. We might change presidents. Kings and queens come and go. But God is still on the throne. Hallelujah. And when he looked at God on the throne, he described a rainbow over around like an emerald and said the pavement was like sapphire stone. And he saw thunder, lightning and he heard thunder. And then these four living creatures in the middle of the throne they have eyes before and behind, and they're shouting, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then he saw these 24 elders who are robed in white and crowned with gold, and they are sitting in a circle, and they come out of their seats and put their crowns down at the feet of the Lamb, and they begin to declare, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and might and power, for you, you've conquered all things. And then, this is beautiful, this is chapter 5 of Revelation, God is holding a scroll that is rolled up like this and sealed with seven rings or seven seals. And someone declares, who 
is worthy to take this book, which is probably the title deed to the earth and the universe, and who can loose these seven seals and read what's written thereon? And they start searching for a worthy candidate. And they look in heaven, and they look on earth, and they look in the seas, and they look everywhere, and they find no worthy candidate. Well, had I been there, I might would have suggested some folks. What about Abraham? Isn't he the father of the faithful? Let Abraham open that book. Abraham can't open that book. He told a lie. He lied. He said his wife was his sister to get out of trouble. He lied. Abraham's disqualified. Well, okay, okay, well, let, let, how about Moses? Let Moses open that book. The lawgiver, Moses can't open that book. He disobeyed God. God told him to speak to the rock, and, and, he, and he smote it with a stick. He's disqualified. Moses, Moses can't open that book. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me choose somebody else. Let, let David, the man after God's own heart, David, you open that book. David can't open that book. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband and lots of other. The David David can't open open that. Hey, don't be looking at me. I can't open that book. I can't open that book. And I and I know you. You cannot open that book. We've all sinned. None was righteous. No, not one. And John started weeping and crying. Nobody was found worthy. And about that time, the elder touched him and said, "You don't have to cry anymore. We just found somebody. We found one person that's worthy." He turned around. They called him the Lion of Judah, but he looked like a that been slain from the foundations of the world had seven eyes and seven horns the seven spirits of God and Jesus walked over to God took that book out of his hand started pulling those seals off and all of heaven above, beneath and all around start shouting worthy is the lamb can I tell you heaven's theme song is all about the blood of the lamb Jesus Christ clap your hands and exalt Jesus with me we are overcomers. He overcame and we overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I was one of those singing preachers. I'm not. But I'd sing a little bit of it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. One more time, say, I'm thankful for the blood. Jesus conquered Satan. We get the victory through Jesus. Let me share this story with you. I enjoy sharing testimonies and and stories, that's why my book is called The Storyteller's Devotional. I enjoy sharing testimonies and stories. And when our oldest son, Travis, he's now, what, 33? He's 33, come on. I look like I'm 33. <laughs> but when he was about three, we lived in a rented home, had a carport, one evening, we drove into the carport. Our daughter would have been born, too, about that time. She was just a few months old, probably. It was late at night, and the headlights were shining. We pulled to the carport. The house was on the left side, on the driver's side. And the way the headlights were shining, I could see that there was a snake on the outside of the house on the kitchen window. Now, this snake gets bigger every time I tell the story. Honestly, 
Six inches of the snake was on the wall. The full length of his body went around the bottom of the rowlock of the brick all the way up one side of the window and another six inches out on the wall. It's a black snake. And somebody said, don't kill a black snake. They won't hurt you. I don't care what color it is. <laughs> somebody says, now you can, you can look in their eyes and tell whether they're poisonous or whether they're not poisonous. Now, I'm not looking in his eyes. I'm not, I'm not doing I'm not doing all. I'm not doing that. So I told my wife, I said, get the two kids out of the car and get them in the house. Get me a flashlight. And I'm going to kill this snake. Well, I went in the backyard where the woodshed was and got an axe. Well, by the time I came back, this snake was crawling. And now he was on up in the peak of the house. And there's a electrical cable and he was crawling along that electrical cable but he was thicker and fatter than the cable and by his weight and gravity he rolled off and fell into this rhododendron bush which is right there at the back of the house I thought he fell all the way to the ground and so with the flashlight in one hand and an axe in the other I'm looking on the ground for this snake and I said I know he's here this rascal is not getting away from me tonight and I looked all around and couldn't find him and got down on my hands and knees and crawled between the house and a rhododendron bush. And that's when I felt something touch me on the back of the ear. <laughs> that's the night I learned snakes don't blink. <laughs> when I turned with that flashlight, that joker was right there in my face. Now, Elijah could outrun horses, but I could outrun Elijah that night. <laughs> but once I caught my breath from running all the way to the back of the property, <laughs> I said, okay, I know where you are now. And I, I put the blade of that axe up in that bush and wrapped it around his body. And he was so thick and full of sinew and muscle. I mean, it was like a tug of war. I had to pull and pull and finally drug him out of that rhododendron bush onto the concrete floor of the carport and whacked off his head. And his head was over here and his body was over here. And my little boy, Travis, three years old, was watching his hero dad <laughs> through the glass of the storm door. So I finally say, I killed the snake, Travis. Come on out. And so he felt safe and he came out. Now, you know, after a snake is dead, it will still move for a little while. And he looked at that snake's mouth, and that mouth was going up and down like this, and the body was over here by itself, wiggling. And Travis got all nervous and concerned and started backing into the house. Daddy, he's still alive, Daddy. He's, I says, no, 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 Travis. I said, I, I, said, I killed the snake. I said, he just don't know it yet. <laughs> okay, he, he's already dead. He's still moving, but he, I've already won the victory. Can I tell you about 2,000 years ago at a place called Mount Calvary, Jesus Jesus put his foot on the serpent's head and conquered when he rose from the dead. And he may still be wiggling, but the devil is a defeated foe. And greater is he that's in us than a he that is in this world. Shout, thank God for the blood. I'm closing. I want you to stand with me in the house of the Lord.
Come to the music if you would, please. I'm thankful for the blood. There's no way in one sermon that I can tell you all that needs to be told about the blood of Jesus Christ. We are protected by his blood. We are cleansed by his blood. We overcome by his blood. I will tell you straight up, there is no other way for you to be saved and come into reconciliation with God. You can't join enough churches to earn your way to heaven. You can't contribute to enough charitable causes. You can give the shoes off your feet and the clothes off your back, which is admirable. But that does not have the power to save you. You can kiss the Pope's ring. That won't save you. You can be baptized in water. That won't save you. You can shake the preacher's hand. That won't save you. You can participate in Holy Communion. By itself, that won't save you. There is one thing that can save you. The blood of Jesus Christ. Not a blood that's just poured out on the ground. Not a blood that's just smitten against a doorpost. Not a blood that's just poured out on an altar. Not blood that's just applied to a thumb or a toe or an ear. But the blood that has been applied to your heart. Remember I said earlier that the blood has a voice? My text, verse 11 says we overcome by the blood, but the previous verse, 10, talks about an accuser of the brothers and sisters. For those of you who are saved, Satan will accuse you before God because he remembers your past. He knows what you did, where you did it, and who you were with when you did it. He will bring up all these things before God. Guilty, 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 guilty. We sometimes talk about pleading the blood, which is a, uh, a legal term. When you stand before a judge and you plead your case, we have the right to plead the blood of Jesus. But I got better news than that. Because Christ's blood has a voice. His blood pleads your case. And Satan says, guilty, and the blood applied. <laughs> I'm standing before God at the judgment and Satan's over there saying guilty I can tell you places names dates people oh Lord a thousand sins in this guy's life and while I'm nervous about that the blood speaks on my behalf what sins are you talking about they've all been washed away justified cleansed as though I never committed a single sin in my life what has the power to do that? The power of the blood of Jesus. Bow your heads, would you please? Father, we thank you 
for giving us revelation and insight in your scripture and understanding into the power of the blood of Jesus. And today we lay claim to the blood of Jesus and through the agency of the Holy Spirit apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. Lord, I feel a special burden today for those that are watching on live stream and those that are in this building and maybe someone who's watching a Facebook video or a YouTube or listening to the media in their car at another later date. This is a signal moment. This is a signature moment. God is dealing with your heart to surrender to Jesus Christ. And if you were to say to me, I've committed so many sins, I can't be forgiven, I will point you to the blood of Jesus. There is no force greater or more powerful than the blood of Christ. So I'm asking God right now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to move over this congregation and prepare the hearts to surrender to Jesus Christ. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you think your addiction is powerful, it stands no match against the blood of Jesus. If you think the many sins of your past are so powerful that you could never be delivered, then you don't understand the power of the blood of Jesus. His blood is the most powerful force in the universe and can wash away your sins and put you in right standing with God and give you eternal life starting right now. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to challenge you. If you could say to me today, Cliff, I needed to hear that message because sin dominates my life and I have something's got to happen. I've got to be delivered. I've got to be saved. I just, I, something has got to change in my life. I cannot keep going like I'm going. You need forgiveness. You need right relationship with God. I'm the only one watching. We're going to make this a private moment, okay? If you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, hold your hand up just briefly. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I will know who to pray for. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. God bless you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else want to respond to that? Everyone open your eyes and look forward. We do have a graphic of a cross hanging up here, which might help what I want to do right now. As best as you can in your imagination, those of you that raised your hand and everybody else in the building, I want you to get a mental image of Jesus hanging on the cross. I want you to try to imagine the blood dripping from his hands and his feet, his back and his brow. But beyond all that, I want you to look into the eyes of Jesus today. I want you to see in his open eyes a compassion. I want you to see in his eyes a love that says, I died for you. Yes, he died for all the sins in the world, but this has to become personal. He died for you.
And even though I saw four or five hands raised, we're going to ask the whole church. This will make it easy on the ones that really need to pray the prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I always feel like I have to explain something. Just because you repeat the prayer of the preacher doesn't mean you got saved. The Bible says in Romans that it takes a confession of the mouth and a belief in the heart. With the, ma- with the mouth, confession is made into salvation, and with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. I can help you with a confession, but I cannot help you with the belief in your heart. That is up to you. I'm only helping you with half of this equation. I'm going to help you with a confession of the mouth, but you have to believe in your heart. So the four or five of you that raised your hand and the whole church say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. And you left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross for my sins. Shed your blood from my sins, and I confess I have sinned. I'm guilty, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior right here, right now. Clap your hands and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Bible says that angels in a heaven throw a party when you get right with God. Woo! Pastor, just step from your seat. Stand right there and face the congregation. Just come right here real quick. Just stand right there and face the congregation. Now, even though you prayed the prayer privately and you raised your hand privately, now I'm going to ask you to do something publicly. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my God. If you were one of the four or five that raised your hand, or maybe you just came back to God, rededicated your life. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer. And you say, yes, I want to make a public confession today. I want you to do something bold right now. Step out of your seat. Walk down this aisle. Come over to this pastor. Shake his hand. We're going to have a prayer with you. We're going to celebrate. Step out right now if you just accepted Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. Church, clap your hands. Clap your hands. We're going to celebrate what God has done in your life. Come right on. Hallelujah. Come Come right on down to the front. God bless you. They're still coming. God bless you.